Hello and welcome to this podcast. I'm Sam Daniel. Of course, I'm doing this in my personal capacity. And this evening, we have four panelists, all young students, Aditya Ratan, a B.Tech student from VIT, who also interns with Antpor, an agro-based startup. Also, P.R. Kavya, a fourth-year B.Tech student from VIT. Manish from the same college, who also interns with Antpor and a medical, Jay Suhas from the Madras Medical College, who also had recently presented an article for ICMR. And uh, the partner in crime with me also is Anaga, a fourth-year BTEC student from VIT, who also has interest in media. Thank you all very much for your time. And the topic we are discussing this evening is artificial intelligence, the big thing that's happening around every one of us around the world, and also the big thing in the future. We're going to discuss about the challenges, the prospects, and also perhaps the risks involved in this. Let's begin with uh, Aditya. Aditya, why do we need artificial intelligence? In fact, many are talking about a situation where later even chips could be placed in the brain, taking artificial intelligence to a new level. The prospects, many say, this could go up to $15.7 trillion. To give a sense what this would mean, is it's the combined economic output of both India and China. So why do we need this, Aditya? Uh, uh, we, we are moving into a place where data is given very, very high priority, uh, be it be it through the type of ads that we see on our social media platforms or uh, or aiding us in our day-to-day life. So uh, with, when data is given this much priority, it is also important that we manage the data. And the, the consumer data, that is the data that we generate, it, it becomes increasingly complex and the quantity of the data is also going to increase significantly. Uh, on on a day-to-day basis, uh, trillions of gigabits of data are going, data is going to be generated. And at at a certain stage, a human cannot process uh, cannot process the data enough, or like the, the productivity at which the human can uh, spit out meaningful information is going to be really really less. So that's where AI kicks in, because because the machines are capable of uh, processing a lot of requests in 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 mere seconds. Then, obviously, people would prefer machines to do the task than uh, over a human being. So that's that's why AI is becoming more prominent day to day. As data increases, the need to process it faster also increases, and so does the dependency on AI. For a lay person, how does AI help in a in our day-to-day life? With a specific example, if you can briefly explain. Mm, uh, let's say you are owning a mill or something, and you hire a person to keep the accounts for it. Uh, now, before before you hire that person, there are a lot of things that you would think whether he's capable of doing the job, whether you can trust. Uh, whether you can trust him or her with the job or not, because at the end of the day, he or she is going to deal with money, and you don't want any mistakes or uh, issues later that is going to land you in trouble. 
so uh, so if if i have an ai service or someone's providing you with a service that can do the calculations for you in seconds instead of hours and is more reliable than a person the more trustworthy than a person because the algorithm just calculates the profit or it just calculates the accounts for you it does it, it does nothing else then you are bound to prefer that over an actual human being so that that so that's how ai can influence us or help us or aid us in our day to day activities so it becomes part of us over time all right anaka you have a question yes sir so has many thanks for joining us on our podcast i'd like you to set up this conversation by explaining how have you been able to couple ai along with healthcare i'm told ai has made mammography 10 times more cost effective could you take us through it tohas uh yeah sure adaga so whenever the conversation comes up about artificial intelligence in healthcare uh, one thing we have to understand is it's still a very huge spectrum so it can be something as simple as automating tasks that a doctor has to do from day to day like taking the patient's notes or writing a prescription or it could be something even more complex like as you said mammography that is breast imaging and uh, usually what is being found is especially in the example that you have given which is uh, mammography it has been found that it is almost as effective as a normal doctor but in the long term it it does really speed up the processing time and it also will prove cost effective but whether is it, whether it is as effective as a doctor is still a very controversial area and that is usually the talking point about most of the artificial intelligence uh, developed with respect to healthcare so it can be uh, even in surgery we have da vinci surgical systems but that is more leaning towards robotics if we go towards the field of research we know that artificial intelligence has just earlier this year helped us detect new antibiotics which will really help us against a new rising problem which is antibiotic resistance among bacteria so whether or not the artificial intelligence is as good as humans are doing every task we for sure know that it can aid us in very specific ways like i said in research and even in maybe taking uh, maybe automating a few day to day tasks but whether it is as good as a doctor in take in giving a diagnosis or a prognosis is still is still being developed and for sure in up in in the coming years it will become it will explode in a big way so yeah all right So, but then I don't want to sound weird here. But then I really wouldn't trust my life with a robot. So, how high really is the acceptability of AI-based treatment in the realm of healthcare today? So, patient acceptability with artificial intelligence is still considered relatively low because it is it is a pretty gray area. I mean, you take any one of these artificial intelligence systems, you put them in Google. The first few questions that you get are: Is this system safe? Is it accurate? so the, uh, among the public there is still a lot of questions that need to be answered and not just among the public even among health professionals there's a lot of concern whether or not these things are as accurate as the companies make them out to be you know even the food and drug administration in the usa it has it is not even able to design a specific program that will help to decide whether or not the machine is effective or not because some sometimes what happens with these ai systems is they are based on machine learning which means that over time they change themselves based on the information that they receive 
So sometimes even the companies are not sure of how the AI is adapting and evolving. And obviously, you don't want a machine to grow faster than you know what is what you know is happening. Apart from that, we also have the concern of confidentiality. You know, patients, the healthcare information of a patient is extremely crucial and extremely sensitive information. And especially with the recent years, with a lot of data being leaked, we don't know how the data is going to be handled. So, taking all these factors into account, I think it is still relatively low. All right. So, over to you, Kavya. I know you are interested in deep learning, particularly deep fakes and deep voice. Uh, explain to us about this and perhaps also on the dangers. Uh, yeah, sure. So, deep fake basically started as a meme generating tech. Uh, the most common harmless ones we see are like the face traps. So, basically, it began as a form of entertainment. But as we all know, technology itself is really double sided. And because now it is used for all kinds of trickery, with like fake audios and in videos where you can possibly change the feature for person. Uh, technically, uh, the word deep fake comes from the deep learning and fake, where deep learning is a part of uh, AI. Uh, those algorithms are inspired by the human brain, known as neural networks. So, uh, with the help of such algorithms, deep fakes can be spread across social networks in a matter of minutes, in a matter of seconds, before anyone even has a chance to verify and take the content down. It basically has the potential to destroy anyone's career, anyone's reputation by simply making a deep fake video of them saying something controversial or like even change the course of any election in the world. Deep fake is like literally where truth dies. It's the height of misinformation. Like in the past, if you wanted to make a video of a president or a prime minister, prime minister saying something he or she didn't say, you will need a team of experts. But with AI and machine learning, uh, it will not only automate this process, but it will probably make it make it a better forgery. It has the power to provide us like a subjective reality. Has it happened anywhere uh, in elections or uh, at political or uh, uh, business level? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, the one of the famous ones. Uh, they, it happened with Donald Trump. Uh, he was speaking, uh, the deep fake video was about climate change mm -hmm. and he said something very controversial about uh, like how I withdrew from Paris climate agreement and so should you all. So that is like the height of misinformation. You are spreading misinformation about the president of the United States, who is literally the most powerful person in the world. So uh, things like this, uh, even in this election, we could uh, expect something like this of this amount. How does how does one uh, verify whether it's real or fake? Uh, basically, uh, there are companies uh, who are trying to uh, counter attack these measures. Uh, it is actually another form of AI only. There are actually algorithms out there which can counter attack them, but uh, right now they are still under the process of making them. Uh, I believe that these uh, algorithms should not be open source because if they come out to be open source, uh, then people will use them to make these fakes better only. All right. Anaka? Yes, sir. Uh, Manish, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. The PM in his speech last week said AI can play a crucial role in developed solutions in agriculture. Now, I'd like you to set up this conversation by explaining how can AI play a role in agriculture today? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the most uh, fundamental problems that all over the world are facing right now is food security. Right? Uh, here's a statistic for you. In the next 30 years, we need to produce the amount of food that we have produced in the last 8,000 years. And we need to do this with the same amount of land that we're using right now. Right. And this is a relatively complex task, right? In 2050, we can expect the human population to be over 11 billion people, and you would need to to generate food for that like for those many people. You'd need to use basically every single bit of habitable land, and you'd still be 40 percent shorter, right? So it comes down to optimizing uh, the resources we have and uh, optimizing the natural resources we use towards producing the same food with the land that we have currently dedicated towards agriculture. And as humans, we have reached the limit as to where we can you know, optimize in terms of agriculture. Like humans can only do so much and human thinking can only go so far. Right? Uh, AI in agriculture is going to be geared towards optimizing situations like uh, controlling climate, predicting and modifying the environment in which the plant grows based on its behavior in a particular growth season and a lot of other things. So in Singapore, they're growing uh, plants in vertical farms where you can control the way the water is flowing based on how this plant is getting how much water and so on and in sweden they have greenhouses which can emulate the weather uh, on the other side of the world based on what kind of thing they're trying to grow and what kind of weather is optimal for that plant to grow right and uh, the swedish company has managed to grow 80 kgs of tomato in a single square meter of land uh, when come in usually you'll get four kgs of tomato if you grow it in an open field and this is done with AI and climate modeling and a lot of uh, very complicated engineering. Uh, but the idea is if we want to have a food secure world in an ever increasing population, uh, we will need to bring in AI to maximize our output towards food security in the world. Manish, when we speak about artificial intelligence and machine learning, you know, it all just narrows down to languages at the end of the day. So Manish, are Java and C++ still going to remain the front runners for the future as they are today? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, Java and C++ are uh, already legacy softwares, right? So uh, in many modern companies and many modern industries have already moved away from these languages right now. So, uh, so to give an example, uh, Google does not use Java for its Android apps anymore. They use a, ver a new version called Kotlin. Right. So like Java programmers and a lot of app developers in general have moved over to this Kotlin environment. And similarly, Microsoft has completely abandoned C++ simply because of its age. Uh, C++ is so old and it costs Microsoft so much money to maintain it for the Windows architecture that they have decided at one point it is not worth the effort to keep uh, a relatively legacy and unsafe programming language. Uh, and C++ is being quickly replaced by more modern languages like Go and Rust. Yeah, so the idea is that no language can forever stay in the front line. And as you said, like it could become a, uh, all about languages, but ultimately it's more about concepts, correct? So most modern languages and even legacy languages, C and Java are still popular right now simply because they are so old and they have such a large developer community that they continue to be uh, to inspire new innovation. And uh, a lot of the old old school developers who still work in languages work a lot to ensure that they have compatibility in the modern and evolving world. So 
Uh, but at, this, at some point, they are just not designed for certain things. So Java, C++ uh, were never designed for artificial intelligence. But you have languages like uh, Go and Python who are a little bit more resilient towards working with these kind of uh, situations. So over to you. Aditya, let's talk about the flip side. Uh, already, for instance, uh, the CAD services have been taken over by Uber, Ola around the world. You have this e-platform giants like Amazon and Flipkart and many others have taken over. Even the grocery sector, for instance. Do you think we run the risk of killing small and medium enterprises around the world and the possibility of these tech giants, including Google, Facebook, taking over large sections of operations worldwide and the entire world coming, literally coming under them, under their control. Uh, yeah, this this is actually a possibility, but I don't think that would have, that would happen uh, because uh, uh, let's let's take one particular case of Facebook dominating the social media platform. Uh, so Facebook already owns Instagram, WhatsApp, and all. So let's say they they take over like literally every social media platform out there. So that doesn't give the user the the end user that is me or you or anyone in this world the option to uh, compare and see what's best for them. So which which makes Facebook force whatever updates or plans that they have on the end end consumer. So that might that might backlash because if the if majority of users don't agree with what they are doing then they can simply uninstall the app and not use it at all. So this this forces to have a competition uh, competition. So now Facebook has to depend on its competitors so that Facebook can thrive better. So yeah, so um, as so Facebook is going to uh, be a very going to grow to a stage where it is going it it occupies the uh, majority of majority of consumers uh, attention but at the same time it's not going to uh, reach a place where it is going to dominate the entire social media market so i think i think that 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 is apply that is applicable everywhere even for uh, enterprise small scale enterprises and uh, cabs or groceries it it applies anywhere except that the competition is going to get more more and more severe and uh, the small scale of the upcoming enterprises need to work more harder, hard like tenfold harder or twentyfold harder to uh, to make a decent mark on mark about themselves to the outside world. I understand, but earlier there was a kind of a level playing field that any humble entrepreneur will be able to rise and provide a tough competition for these giants. But now we see a situation where the divide is so wide that they have huge money, they pump in millions of dollars of uh, cash to expand their technology, to grow their technology. And they also join hands with uh, uh, internet service providers, for instance, around the world, so that they can easily kill competition. So internet is not the same that provided a level playing field as we thought it used to be or it should be. And in that sense, uh, even budding entrepreneurs are not able to really grow beyond the point because these tech giants have taken over everything they can't really put up a fight yeah uh yeah the times have changed like uh like <laughs> as you pointed out uh 
the internet itself is uh, now uh, trying to uh, find new new methods to uh, grab attention of their audience so they are going there are so like how jio is uh, providing ott platform and so yeah so that that increases the competition and uh, for upcoming enterprises it's going to make that time more difficult but uh, there there is still hope uh, because uh, i i mean uh, i i don't think a lot of people use this to their fullest to the fullest of advantage but there are a lot of schemes i mean in india there are there are not i mean not to a significant number but there are good schemes that uh, that upcoming startups can use or upcoming companies can use the this these schemes are introduced directly by the government and they are monitored by them as well so the these schemes might provide these upcoming startups or enterprises the right incubator or right platform where they can develop their products get proper funding or uh, expand on their market uh, and gain the customers confidence in us so there are there are yes true uh, the competition is much severe and brutal but at the same time there are there are opportunities as well at the end of the day it depends on how good the company is going to use it or whether the company is going to give in uh, give up and then uh, sell the company or the idea to the, to the tech giant right anaga yes sir so has uh, do you see robots as a formidable threat to your job uh, well presently i don't think they are a formidable threat to replacing doctors uh i see ai as more of augmenting our understanding of the patient for example if the patient has maybe a problem with the heart valve artificial intelligence can really help us create 3d models or help us get a better understanding of where the problem is what the problem is caused by and that can really help us create a more tailored approach for each individual patient and apart from that there is always the problem of accountability so supposing you have artificial intelligence being the solo doctor if it gives the wrong diagnosis who are you going to hold accountable exactly so presently so presently it is only with the doctor so i think it will be more of an augmentation for the doctor and lastly of course there is the human aspect which is a little bit maybe uh, overestimated at times but the human aspect is what drives us to understand why a particular disease is caused like artificial intelligence can give you the answers of how is it caused or what is causing it but then so supposing you have a disease like hypertension where you have specific factors with such a stress which is giving you the predisposition towards hypertension or diabetes artificial intelligence is not going to take the time to understand why you are stressed in your life how are you going to reduce the stress in your life so that human aspect is really essential to help us understand why particular diseases are caused and to give relatively simple solutions which are more understandable to the patient all right so over to you all right uh, kavya uh, do you think the exponential growth and influence of artificial intelligence will lead to large scale unemployment in the years to come already we are talking in terms of driverless cars we have supermarkets completely automated without uh, human interface or very few people working there do you think that's the possibility and do you think this will also widen the digital divide a new kind of digital divide 
uh, being put in place now? Uh, to some extent, yes, I do agree. Artificial intelligence might uh, decrease the opportunity uh, that we have here at the cost of improving our life. Uh, but then, uh, but then again, uh, we should look at how much our life and day-to-day, uh, -day, uh, all the activities are being improved. When it, uh, because of AI, almost all the things we can imagine will be automated. Everything that is under production right now, it will be automated uh, to uh, such a level where the product will be delivered in perfection. So uh, unemployment is yes a major major reason. Uh, it will be uh, really a drastic uh, consequence of it. Uh, but I think the government should like come up with a proper platform, and they should be uh, all these uh, skilled laborers should be trained in a way to develop upon or to because so much of robot robotics and automation is involved there will be a point when you need them to repair or need them to update so all the skilled laborers can be actually taught as a technician instead so that they can also level up in their job and they will have new skills to also work upon so uh, that is a way one way of looking at uh, new job opportunities being created is where you can go ahead and modify or uh, repair the robot something like that but do you think uh, this is also an indication of uh, an excessive greed on the part of uh, tech companies? They uh, do indulge in what many call irresponsible innovation, uh, innovating things which we don't really need, but for their own commercial uh, gains, they do this and they, uh, in a sense, kill opportunity, kill employment opportunities kill the human side of life and make us think and behave like machines in a way? Uh, AI is uh, really inevitable. It is uh, as innovative as it is. It is very much destructive also. Yeah, but uh, the way we are leading into the world, we cannot really uh, deviate from what technology brings us. We are on an exponential curve here. So I think we should be prepared to face the challenges rather than uh, having the tech giants, uh, you know, like ask them to uh, not improve upon this because uh, this is all very inevitable. Suhas, so if I can ask you, uh, what is your take on this, uh, about this uh, allegation of irresponsible innovation? and providing or making people addicted to this kind of artificial intelligence-based technology and making them support this kind of a development? Well, uh, I think irresponsible innovation, yeah, I mean, that is a reality. I mean, a lot of tasks which uh, otherwise do not need to be automated, which are not particularly challenging, are being automated simply for the reason that you don't have to pay wages to any AI worker. So I think, yeah, it is maybe the responsibility of the government to step in at some level and really investigate if there is a need for it. But 
there is also something to be said about whether or not uh, whether i mean whether any innovation is justified or not i mean just because they are innovating to replace workers they might land up somewhere else they might find 